Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Getting In a College Coach Conversation. I'm Sally Ganga from College Coach. We'll be discussing on the show today some really timely topics. During segment two, I'll be talking with Kira Tyler of College Coach about what students should pursue this summer as we're dealing with COVID. And for our last segment, Shannon Vasconcelos, college coach finance expert and a regular on this show, will be providing us with a higher education finance legislative update. Specifically, what do families need to know about what's happening on, uh, you know, the government front? And for the first segment, if you're watching this on video, you can see I'm speaking with Barbara Van Dyke about career planning for teens. Barbara has extensive experience in career counseling at a lot of different ages and in many different settings, including through Bright Horizons Ed Assist program. Welcome, Barbara. Hi, Sally. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, when college comes up, I mean, college is my bread and butter. Um, When college comes up, as more and more, especially as the cost of college has gone up, careers come up too in a way that wasn't as true when I was younger. You know, like we kind of, at my age, I think we all sort of figured it it, it would work out. And, and I have to say that it absolutely did. However, with the how expensive college is these days, I think people are really concerned about making a mistake. And so they want to do career planning earlier and earlier. And um, I mean, I'm always cautioning families that remember your ninth grader is going to change and evolve. But nonetheless, I think there are things that parents can do to help their teenagers kind of start to identify careers or interests, that sort of thing. So Barbara, tell me, what do you do when you're faced with, you know, um, a young person who's trying to figure out what they want to do? Um, like, what what are some of the principles that that people should be thinking about? Mm-hmm. And I agree with, with you, Sally. It's sometimes hard to decide what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the major or the career goal. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's no one size fits all for everyone. But I'm going to say the foundation for building a or making a career decision or even considering a wide variety of options is focusing on your interests, your skills, and your values. And interests, well, that's more or less what the teen, if we're talking about teens today, that's what the teen enjoys doing. Is it science projects? Is it fixing things, taking care of others, or instructing others? Is it artistic pursuits or inventing things? Um, Is it athletics? And what subjects are of their greatest interest? And what magazines do they like to read? And and what are their hobbies? And so that's one component. Skills is another component. With teens, it's not just skills, but it's the aptitude. Uh, I always say skills are what pay the bills. So being able to do a job well is going to be critical to success in the job. If I choose if I choose, for example, to pursue technology because it pays well and because there's a lot of opportunity, but I don't have the skill or the aptitude, I, I might wind up unsuccessful or wind up with a damaged self-esteem. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so for teens, they may not have skills yet, but certainly there are aptitudes that they can build on. And thirdly is are a person's values. Mm-hmm. What aspects of life are most important? What are the non-negotiables in life? Values could be things like having uh, a job where I have time to still spend time with family and friends or Maybe in a job, I want opportunities for achievement, or maybe I want a job where I can spend the majority of time outdoors. And obviously, making money is an important value for a lot of people. Thus, the career choice or even the options for consideration should sort of fit at the intersection of those three areas. So if you picture a Venn diagram with three circles, uh, the most suitable careers are going to be at the intersection, those that compose, that um, include all three elements. Meeting just one or two of those components is, is probably not enough. Also, I think being informed, having um, resources to you and being informed about uh, occupations is very important as well. There's sometimes a herd mentality and it's easy for a a teen or even an an adult to get swayed by peer pressure into choosing a career that a majority is opting rather than one that best suits him or her or even one that's advertised as growing at a wild pace and sometimes even a parent can get attracted to a career choice that's trending hence knowledge of the labor market is really important and I think scope, career scope is also important. That tells us about various fields and professions that are accessible after perhaps pursuing a particular curriculum. The larger the scope, the better the chances of finding within a role in that maybe sector, industry sector, uh, is going to, there's going to be all more opportunity, more options. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's a an excellent, like high level overview, but I'm kind of wondering, so, so concretely, like when, um, like, I, I loved your example of students or parents can even look at like, what magazine is a student reading? Like mm-hmm. that might be relevant. What kinds of things do they like to do? I mean, what if it's like, you know, a gamer magazine or a fashion magazine, like how, how, how might that play in? Obviously there's a lot of other elements, but let's, let's be a little concrete here. Mm-hmm. All right. So being concrete, uh, a parent can facilitate the process of a student's or teen's career exploration by really uh, helping the teen pursue self-knowledge. Um Again, what sort of activities do they like doing? And not only what activities, but what strengths are they utilizing in those activities? And um, have them, I, I think it's also important to explore a lot of different avenues, maybe the arts, maybe sports, maybe other creative pursuits, and, um, and see what, where the interests lie. Um, and having the student also be able to communicate where their strengths are and having parents identify those observations as well. For example, I work with a lot of um, young adult women who tell me they want to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And when I ask them, what is it about nursing that interests you? Very often the answer is, well, I want to be able to help people. And well, there 
the reason they get can also provide input into other areas that might be a possibility. So nursing belongs in a sector, right? It belongs in the healthcare sector. And so if you take a deeper dive into what it is that appeals to the most, then up come other numerous occupations and other numerous ways that a person can be helpful to someone. Nursing's not the other only option. And so I think doing that research. So if you kind of know an area that you're interested in, like fashion or the other one you mentioned, uh, skips slipped my oh, mind. Uh, gaming. Gaming. Okay. <laughs> so a person can use some resources, online resources like the Occupational Outlook Handbook or Career One Step or ONET online to research organ- different um, industries and different jobs. And so, for example, if I were to pull up ONET online, I can do a search for gaming. And uh, within that search, up are going to come related titles to maybe uh, software development, gaming software development. So that can give you some ideas. You might also pull up a website like Indeed.com, a job search board, and I might type in gaming jobs and see what comes up. Uh, And likely you'll come up, you'll find a number of different options come up that you hadn't even thought of but involve gaming so a person may have a lot of knowledge in their own head or if they're um, keen on reading gaming magazines chances are within that magazine they're going to learn a lot about some jobs in the field or or different niches within the field Um, they may even look at the back of the magazine and they may see some job postings, and they might also see some uh, different advertisements for a different type of education or training. So there's a number of different ways that a person can figure out what might be a good fit. But also, I think it's important not to make any rash decisions at the early part when someone's pursuing self-knowledge to kind of just um, generate a long list of options. And then do research on those different options. So uh, in your mind, you may think a nurse does one thing, uh, but in reality, they probably do things you haven't thought of. And so I think the labor information, including the sites I mentioned, will give you greater insight into what sort of tasks or activities they do on a regular basis, what sort of skills are needed, what sort of competencies are going to be important. And, um, and can also link to other related fields. Mm -hmm. I think too, um, I mean, one of the things that seems important to me is that students also understand what kind of education they're going to need to get to go into a certain field. Mm -hmm. Um, sorry, I have allergies. When I talk to, uh, when I talk to a lot of students who want nursing or medicine because they want to help people, um, a good chunk of them, not all of them, a good chunk of them don't really have the science background. You know, I run into that with physical therapy as well mm-hmm. with some of the other kind of hot, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of like the, the 
Like there's certain professions that are sort of sexy at any given time to, to students. Sure. And I feel like nursing, like people have understood that this is a very good job. There's a lot of job opportunities, mm-hmm. but you know, their worst grades are in sciences. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you see things like mm-hmm. that, or, you know, you talked about lifestyle. They just don't want to work that hard. I mean, I talked mm-hmm. to a young woman about nursing who, she was really blunt with me that she didn't want to work that hard. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I don't think nursing is a match then, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I said, I think you can do this if you choose to, but it doesn't sound like you want to choose to. So Mm -hmm. yeah, just kind of, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I I guess my thoughts on that are thinking a little bit more outside the box. Certainly a nurse in a hospital works harder than most people want to work, I'm sure. But I think there are maybe some specialties, like perhaps I could become a or specialize in a um, a vis uh, what do they call it a home visiting nurse, mm-hmm. where they don't do as much as the medical procedures, um, a lot of the dirty work, for example, that a nurse in a hospital might do. They may not also be as busy, um, and so I think looking for related options is another way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, other occupations that are similar is another way to go about it. What comes to mind is something like medical assistant in a physician's office where they don't have to handle emergencies and uh, work probably as hard as a hospital nurse does. Of course, then you have to weigh, well, I'm going to make less money as a medical assistant than I am as a nurse. So I, I think then take a look at some other options within the healthcare field. Things that come to mind are things like um, a digital imaging technician, where you still have to know a lot of science, but you're probably not running around as during the day as much as a nurse is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think in that case, they've got to think about related fields. Mm-hmm. maybe related within the profession, or if, it, 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 again, uh, what do they mean by wanting to help people? Mm-hmm. And so what about a student where, you know, their interests are in art or I'll, I'll name check history. I was a history major. As I said, it worked out for me. I'm an educational consultant. I th- I have a great job. Like, so in no way, shape or form am I saying that students shouldn't major in history. But I do think that if you don't want to be a teacher of history, the career path seems less obvious to people. So how do you, how do you help, uh, or in same kind of thing with art, like maybe mm-hmm. some artists can make it right, but mm-hmm. it's a very competitive field. So mm-hmm. what kinds of things do you suggest when parents are kind of panicked because their students' interests, they're, they're not sure how this can turn into a, a career that's going to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. And certainly it takes not only um, creativity, but it will also take confidence when they get to a job interview for that person to explain how their background, how their college degree is going to help them be successful in their job. And I know of plenty of cases. I know of uh, you, you, for example, I also know a woman who's now a vice president of a large company um, has a history degree. She didn't go on for a master's degree, but she's a smart person and got great grades, was able to sell herself in an interview and was able to work her way up in a company. Um, Another example, a a woman who's now in her 30s 
when she was young and talked to her parents about going to college, she said, I, I want to major in art history. And the father said, no way am I paying, you know, big bucks to send you to school for art history. So they wound up compromising on a double major. So her double major was art history and economics. And both agreed. And now the woman is working. She's working at a major financial institution, not doing finance, but she's an executive assistant to a very top producer. And so she uses her culture, sort of her art history and other cultural skills uh, as she works with the top producer's clients. And so she says her job is to solve problems for her boss and make her boss's job easier. So she used a combination of both to get where she needed to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any last resources? We have about a minute left. So I always like to highlight the Bureau of Labor Statistics Occupational Outlook Handbook. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great resource to get a sense of if certain fields are growing, what kind of education is needed, that sort of thing. You mentioned ONET. ONET Online. Mm -hmm. I also like um, Career One Stop. Now, Career One Stop has some free assessments, for example. And then when results come up, a person can stay right on that website and and, kind of learn more about each of the options. Mm -hmm. Also on that website, Career One Stop, um, you could, a person could type in their skills and up will occupation, up will come occupations that use those skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, as a history major, I learned skills that had nothing to do with history. I learned how to make a well-defined argument. Um, right. I was in small classes. I learned how to defend my position. All these things have been, you know, I'm a good talker and I needed that skill for my job. So that, right. matters, you know, I might um, also, that reminds me, Sally, that in college, you're not only learning about your major, uh, you're, you know, I was a business major. Do I use many of my business, not much of my business knowledge, not so much accounting, not so much finance, but also what you learn in college, no matter what you study is time management, critical thinking, interpersonal skills, communication skills. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the more, most valuables, valuable skills in today's job market. They have a lot of people who have technology skills and what they're looking for now and employers are have a, having a hard time finding people with those softer skills. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. I think that's a perfect place to end. Thanks so much, Barbara. Thanks, Sally. Thanks, everyone, for having me. All right. We'll be back in just a few minutes with uh, Kira Tyler about what to do during the summer while we're still dealing with COVID. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful. 
but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Kira. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sally. Happy to be here. All right. So we actually, I mean, people, if they search for it, I can't remember where to find it. We already had a pretty long discussion about this topic, basically about what should students be doing this summer, even though COVID is still a factor. Um, our college is still expecting the same level of involvement. So let's dive right in. Like you had some great things to say last time we talked about like kind of people's expectations of doing the exact same thing as if COVID is not a thing. So why don't you go dive into that? Yeah, of course. So I think people are so hungry to get back to their like 2019 routines that they're like, oh my gosh, my kid has to go to a summer program or they have to do this or they need to be a CIT. And I mean, the the fact of the matter is that I think the summer of 2021 is going to be similar in a lot of ways to the summer of 2020, which means those opportunities to do those types of things are really not readily available. Now, depending on where you live, you might live in a state, like I know Florida has some in-person things that are available, um, but for the, the vast majority of students, that's just not an option. And so I really, we've asked a lot of our kids, right? Like we've asked so much of them. Um, some of them will have not gone to into a school this entire year. And so for this summer, I would really love that they get to spend time being constructively busy, but in ways that they want. So mm-hmm. if they cannot be a CIT at a camp and they really want to, how about they band together with another trusted high school student friend of theirs and like come up with a little neighborhood camp? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe if they're interested in science research, they turn it on its head and they help some younger kids discover science um, experiments and research in a safe setting. So I really want people to, I want to encourage people to think more broadly about coming up with their own happy solutions as opposed to round hole square peg kind of Mm -hmm. solutions. Yes. And the other thing too, is let's just emphasize again, or I'll pose this as a question to you, the leading question, because I know (laughs) what you're going to say, are colleges expecting students to do what they would have done otherwise? Are they going to forget that there was a pandemic and say, where are the internships, for example? Yeah. Our colleges, our college admission officers still reading files from home. Yes. <laughs> so, so because of that, I mean, and also these are empathetic, real people making real decisions. No, they are not expecting people to be doing the same things that they might've two years ago. So um, I think creativity is appreciated. Ingenuity is appreciated. Um, you know, I've told some of my kids like build in some social time, you know, if you're going to need to get back 
into school and you're a little bit rusty and, you know, your family's vaccinated or whatever, the situation is safer, like leave a little bit of space for some actual socialization time. So to answer your question, though, Sally, no, they're not going to be expecting what they might have previously. They have a lot of grace around this situation. Mm -hmm. All right. And so one of the other questions that we get again, then is, um, you know, what's better? a summer job or volunteering or like maybe a school program, which one is going to be better? Yeah. So what's better is what genuinely makes sense for the student Mm -hmm. and the family. So for example, since we last spoke, Sally, I, I spoke to a family where the daughter had a job she lives in a location that is um, fairly affluent. She goes to an incredibly competitive high school. She has a really incredible program academically, and she works at a national fast food chain. Mm-hmm. And I like lost my mind. I was so excited that it's not about where she works. That's not what it is. It's that she didn't think, she didn't believe the hype that she needed to find some fancy Fortune 100 internship. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead was like, I want to make a little bit of money. I want to live out in the real world. I want to see what it's like to work with other people who are different than me. Mm -hmm. And I really applauded her parents for allowing her the space to do that. Because I think a lot of parents would be like, no, that doesn't look good. No, that, you know, there are a lot Mm -hmm. of reasons. And so for her, I was like, that sounds really great. Yes, if you want to continue to do it, I think there are a lot of lessons learned. Um, For people who decide, like, I want to try a summer program because I feel like I'm missing the independence, I'm missing that experience, or I want to push myself academically, that sounds like a good solution for them, right? Mm -hmm. And then I always think that volunteering is something that can be woven around a student's schedule. So maybe they could do both two of those, two out of those three things, or in some ways, like all three, depending on how their summer's um, fleshing out. But I really want this to be a genuine, honest choice um, Mm -hmm. where the student is happy about spending their time that way and sees value as opposed to how it's going to look. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I do, I mean, one of the, the points that I always try to make too is again, it is, it's what makes sense for that student and what are you actually doing? Like I I talk to a lot of families who think internships are always the thing. Internships are magic. And I'm like, you know, some internships are just getting coffee. Others are, you're really accomplishing a lot. So stop focusing on what the name is of the thing that you're doing and focus instead on what are you actually accomplishing? Like, what can you tell the colleges that you've been able to get done? And you can do as much with that with a volunteer activity. A hundred percent, whether it's at a local social service organization like a library or at a boys and girls club or at your local community center or, you know, assuming that most, um, you know, people who live in assisted living facilities are um, vaccinated. Those people are hungry for company and Mm -hmm. visitors. And so I think that in a lot of ways, to your point, Sally, those are much more enriching experiences than, again, having some fancy internship those will still be there. Those mm-hmm. are probably better suited for college students, to be frank. And, um, you know, I think go where you also will have more impact. Um, and I think that has shifted a little with COVID. Um, there are places that are really desperate for um, support. And mm-hmm. I think teenagers are a great model for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen teenagers really like 
some of the best things that I've seen um, teenagers do is when they identify a hole and they figure mm-hmm. out that they're going to plug it instead of saying just, it's all about me. They kind of I say, think. you know what? I care deeply about this library and I want to make it work for the community around it. Like, and they talk to the librarians about what's needed. And I bring that up because I actually had a student who was volunteering at a library and this is pre COVID. So I'm not saying it translates exactly. Um, but she was volunteering at a library heavily used by kids, no children's library room. They really needed one. She noticed, she talked to the librarian about it. The librarian pointed to a room that they had, but they had no funds. This was an under-resourced area. Um, They had no funds to turn it into a children's library. So guess what she did? She raised the money. She got volunteers. She fixed up that room so that it was suitable for kids. And on top of it, she cared so deeply again about this community, this library that she went back every Saturday for the rest of her high school experience. I love that. I will say, and Sally, you know this, I'm a Girl Scout troop leader for my daughter's Mm -hmm. junior troop. A lot of gold award, you know, recipients or silver award, they'll do things like that. But I almost never see Boy Scouts working towards their Eagle Project doing something like that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to always be like I'm building a shed or I'm building mm-hmm. a, you know, a community garden or whatever. Like I, I think you're right. Like let's be creative, identify where the needs are, you know, and let's try to fill those. Like you know, if you have space in the front of your home and you feel comfortable building a little mini library or a little mini food. Food, um, you know, shelter, do that. Mm-hmm. What a great way to contribute um, mm-hmm. and solve a need. Yeah. yeah. And feel good about it too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually, I have a student who loves sports and obviously she couldn't do everything, but as long as the weather was nice, she was doing like mini coaching sessions with neighborhood kids. And she loved it. And this is something, you know, it shows leadership. It shows that she can work with people again, who are different from her because she's working with little kids. It was a way for her to kind of, I mean, this was a kid who loved life too. Like I've like, I don't know that I've ever met anyone as positive as her. And this just kind of really fit with who she was. Yeah. That's sweet. I love that. I have a similar story with a student who is a runner and was really missing, um, you know, the opportunity to like run often and with people. And so with another trusted buddy, like formed a little running club um, Mm -hmm. for some neighborhood kids, including he also, he had a, a, a sibling that, uh, you know, he wanted to pull into running to get a little bit more active. Mm -hmm. We need people to get up and out of their homes away from screens, get some vitamin D. And so I love that, like, again, filling a need while also doing something that they are passionate about and enjoy. And I think that for even some of our, you know, most students that are looking at most selective schools, like what a great way to show initiative and convey your, you know, transition from just having a passion into a purpose. Like I really, I admire, I admired the choice so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other day I talked to a student who's really interested in like ethics in, um, and issues of privacy in the tech industry. Wow. And so I said, that's so exciting. Like most of the students I know who want computer science, they're just, I mean, they don't say it, but basically they just want to be Steve Jobs or Zuckerman or whatever, you know. Um, They want to wear their turtlenecks. They want to wear their turtlenecks (laughs) or their hoodies. They want to like the cool, but she's like, you know, I'm really interested in what this can do, but also like think about the negative side of it. 
she said, I don't really know how to approach it, but I've started doing some reading. And so she and I, we started like brainstorming with her father. And I was like, what about a massive online course, you know, like Coursera? And then sure. maybe like starting an organization, trying to get other students involved. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this like, if this young woman is able to get this off the ground, it's going to be more impressive than any internship, I think. And even if she does it at a smaller level, it's going to show how thoughtful she is and what her values are. Yeah. And I love, I love the germination of an idea into an action. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's your point is like, even if it doesn't turn out to be a massive thing, doing it on a small scale in a way that's impactful is huge, Mm -hmm. like something to feel so proud about something to really, you know, if we're thinking about it from a college angle perspective, admission perspective, what a great thing to share. So I really, I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't even believe all of the interesting like things that are going to be examined once we move out of this pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think this demographic, this like this teenager generation is going to really, it's mm-hmm. going to be pretty incredible. Yeah. Cause they've had to be creative and they haven't been able to just, and even the ones who kind of, to your point earlier, even if they just spent the time reading, yeah, like there are ideas that germinate out of that. If, if there weren't, I would have never been employed because that's kind of most of what I did for most, you know, for most summers. I didn't know back when I was applying to colleges that I was supposed to have exciting summer things going on. So I just had a summer job and I read when I wasn't, you know, doing that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was trying to find myself, which did mean a few internships, but it also meant working at Starbucks and like, feeling the pressure of making drinks when the line was like 20 people deep and right. there were only Starbucks every, you know, 30 miles away. Right. <laughs> oh my God, life. What was life like back then? I know. I know. So yeah. Uh, what a time to be alive and our teenagers are so resilient. We mm-hmm. should be really proud of them and recognize that in, in who they are. Absolutely. All the right. Well, right. I think it is. And I think that this is a good place to end our particular segment. So thank you so much, Kira. Thanks for having me, Sally. Bye. Bye. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome, Shannon. Thanks for so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Sally. Glad to be here. All right. So this is important stuff, but I, pretty dry. I mean, I work in education and like when I try and read these updates in the paper, I'm like, what is going on? So I'm really glad you're here to help out. Um, so today we're talking about legislative changes that will affect families paying for college. And um, I mean, I think I certainly assumed that that big change was going to have to do with, you know, change of administration, Trump to Biden, Republican to Democrat. But actually, that's not the case, because a lot of this started um, at the end of December. Right. There was a huge change to the federal financial aid process. So, yeah. Yeah. There was a, a huge bill that passed at the end of December which included it was like a 5,000-page Consolidated Appropriations Act. Um, but within those 5,000 pages was about 200 pages that they called the FAFSA Simplification Act, which made a tremendous amount of big changes to the FAFSA that are all due to take into effect for the 23-24 school year. So we still got a couple years to go on that. Um, but the biggest thing they did was try to simplify the form uh, you know, any big complicated form is a barrier to college access. So they wanted to really trim the FAFSA down. So they cut it down from the current 108 questions all the way down to 36 questions. So the FAFSA is going to be a lot easier to fill out in the future. That is pretty exciting. I filled out a FAFSA to, when I was applying to graduate school, and that was a scary form to me. So it, <laughs> <laughs> it should be again, a little less scary. Maybe. Yeah. 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 All right. So what are some of the big questions that they cut? Like, what's the information that isn't going to be asked now? Yeah, they cut a few questions, one having to do with um, selective service requirements. So males over the age of 18 were required to be registered for the draft. Um, and if they weren't, they could not receive federal aid. That question's gone. Um, there's a question about um, minor drug convictions. If you had a minor drug conviction while you were receiving federal aid that prevented you from receiving federal aid in the future, that is gone. So those things won't affect aid eligibility anymore. They cut a whole bunch of questions in regards to forms of untaxed income that you might have had. Most commonly uh, are the things that will affect, I think, the most people. Uh, and we are still awaiting guidance from the Department of Education on this. So there's more guidance to come. They can interpret things differently than me, just to throw that out there. But what it's looking like is that contributions you make to your 401k at work will um, no longer be counted as part of your income. Um, so that's nice for families who are contributing to their 401k. Mm -hmm. Another big one for some families currently gifts or bills paid on a student's behalf count as student untaxed income. Uh, that question is going away. That particularly uh, affects divorced families where a non-custodial parent is paying for the student's college. Those non-custodial payments currently count as student income and can kind of come back to bite families in the financial aid process. Um, but that question is going away. So at schools that just use the FAFSA to award their financial aid, which is not all schools, but at most schools, um, those non-custodial parent contributions will no longer affect financial aid eligibility. Okay, great. Yeah. And then, it, so it sounds like that change could potentially really help divorced families. Any other benefits to them? 
Yeah. So another nice thing for divorced families is the way that child support is going to be looked at on the financial aid application currently counts as income and income to the, um, to the custodial parent. If the non-custodial parent is paying mm-hmm. child support to the custodial parent, it counts as part of that parent's income, uh, you know, decreasing financial aid eligibility. They're going to start counting it as they're still going to count it, but as an asset instead of income, assets have a much gentler treatment in the financial aid formula. So that can also help um, divorced families. Uh, and then another change may or may not help divorced families, I would guess in most cases, not as much. Um, they're changing who is considered the custodial parent. So currently, the parent that you live with the most is considered your custodial parent for financial aid purposes. Uh, that is going to change to the parent who provides more financial support. Hmm. Um, And we are still awaiting a whole lot of guidance from the Department of Education on how exactly they're going to define financial support. Um, So there's more to come there that we don't know yet, but that could be a bad thing for divorced families if you assume that the parent who provides more support is probably the parent that has the higher income. Mm -hmm. That could be bad for families in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right. So that's pretty much of a mixed bag for um, divorced families. Some good, maybe some bad. Um, Is there anybody who really lost big under this FAFSA simplification? Yeah, I think there are a couple of groups of folks. One would be small business owners under the current FAFSA rules. uh, Businesses that have less than 100 employees and that are um, at least 50% family owned are excluded from the financial aid calculations. You don't have to report those small family-owned businesses as an asset on your FAFSA. Uh, Same thing with small family-owned farms. Those are not looked at on the FAFSA. Um, That exclusion is going away. So you will now have to report all businesses that that parents or students own, as well as all farms. Um, So that could hurt those kind of small business owners um, compared to what's happening now. The other big loser, unfortunately, is families that may have multiple kids enrolled in college at the same time. Currently, Mm -hmm. the expected family contribution that's determined when you complete a FAFSA, it's split between all the kids that you have enrolled in college. Uh, That splitting is going away in the new federal financial aid formula. Meaning you could end up paying if your contribution is calculated to be, you know, $30,000 when your first child goes in, your second child goes in, you also have a $30,000 contribution for them. So you could end up, you know, paying double. Uh, So that could be really rough. That is for federal financial aid purposes only. It remains to be seen how colleges are going to react in terms of their own institutional aid. They can, if they want to, keep splitting the contribution for institutional aid purposes, but we just don't know yet what they're going to do. What I'm just curious what the reasoning is behind that. You know, I mean, if families have 30,000 to spend in a given year, they don't just because they have two kids suddenly have 60,000. Yeah. yeah. The, the reasoning is that it is um, in order to be more equitable to families that have spaced their kids farther apart. Because you can imagine with that $30,000 contribution, let's say, um, if you have kids space far apart, your first one goes with a $30,000 contribution each year, and then the younger child also goes, you still have the same $30,000 contribution for them. So you do end up paying, if you actually paid your contribution, you know, um, 
that whatever it was, uh, 120,000 for the first child, 120 for the second, 240 total. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you end up paying double if your kids are spaced far apart, but if they're in college at the same time, you benefit from that, the splitting. Mm-hmm. The thought was that that is inequitable <laughs> to that some families benefit and some families don't based on when you had your kids. So they just decided to make it to be equitable. Nobody benefits. Nobody gets the benefit. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> you all lose. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yep. Well, it sounds like in other ways things are better. So just not in this one. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. Any other big changes we should know about with the FAFSA Simplification Act? Yeah, one. So we've been talking about the expected family contribution, just Mm -hmm. to note that that terminology is going away. They're not going to call the number your expected family contribution anymore. They felt like that term was misleading because many people actually have to pay more than their expected contribution. They -hmm. are changing it to the student aid index, um, which is... I don't know if it's leading one way or not. It's not misleading. I don't know if it makes any sense to anyone, but it's le- at least not misleading anymore. Um, so you'll start to hear the term student aid index. The other um, very nice thing that's happening is they are um, going to begin basing Pell Grant eligibility, which is a federal grant for uh, relatively low income families. They are going to, uh, the way it currently works is that you have to, it's based on your expected family contribution. So you have to apply to college, be accepted, apply for financial aid, go through that whole process till you find out your expected contribution and therefore your Pell Grant eligibility. They are going to create a simple table where Pell Grant eligibility is based just on your adjusted gross income and your household size so that families can know right up front before ever applying to college that they will be eligible for a Pell Grant. Um, This is the grants, it's about $6,000 in terms of the maximum. So, you know, if you, per year, if you qualify for this, you could go to community college for free, essentially. Your Pell Grant would cover everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a great thing for families to know up front and for students to know that they can, in fact, go to college, that it could be free for them. Um, so they're going to create this table so that families can know upfront what their Pell Grant eligibility will be as a way to increase transparency and hopefully increase college access. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like a very good thing. Yes. I am, I am very pleased about that. Yes. Um, all right. So all of this FAFSA simplification stuff happened before the new administration came in in January. So anything since then? Yeah, so um, one of the very first things that President Biden did uh, in, I think it was his first day in office, he issued a bunch of executive orders, uh, one of which was extending the current forbearance on student loans. Currently, if you have federal student loans, they are in a forbearance. You don't have to uh, be making payments. This has been the case since uh, for about a year now, since last March when the pandemic hit and, of course, the economy kind of went crazy and lots of people lost their jobs. Um, the student federal student loans have been in a forbearance where you don't have to pay. They are not accruing interest. That um, 
forbearance was scheduled to end at the end of January. And so President Biden, in his first day in office, extended that forbearance until the end of September. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, so student loan borrowers have more time now uh, to hopefully you know kind of get themselves back on their feet economically before they have to start paying back their student loans. We don't know if they will be extended any further, but right now it's through the end of September. Okay. So this is a totally unfair question that you're completely allowed to say. I have no idea, Sally, but I know people are thinking it because I am. Any hint about loan forgiveness? Any hints about those? Or is it just still just debate at this point? It's still debate at this point. I will tell you in the last stimulus bill that that just passed in the past few weeks where folks um, got new COVID relief checks. Um, Within that stimulus bill, they did not pass any student loan forgiveness. But what they did do was um, there's a provision in there that made any student loan forgiveness issued over the next four years, uh, making it tax free. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of thought to be kind of paving the way for a more large scale um, forgiveness program. We don't know yet um, if that is going to happen. Um, It was certainly, it's certainly on the minds of a lot of people uh, and a legislative priority of a lot of people, but there's um, a lot of kind of hurdles to still jump over before that can happen. Uh, I think it's kind of more likely to happen now than in any point in time in, in recent memory with Democrat in the White House and a democratically controlled um, Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is still a lot of disagreement, um, even among the Demogra- Democrats, about what sort of st- what student loan forgiveness, um, if it should happen, what it should look like. The more progressive members of Congress are pushing for um, fifty thousand dollars of. Uh, kind of across the board student loan forgiveness, and they want President Biden to do that by executive order, basically on his own, because it will be difficult, if not impossible, to get that through Congress. And they believe he can do that on his own by executive order. That's what um, some of the progressive members of of Congress, Elizabeth Warren, Chuck Schumer, are pushing for that. Mm -hmm. President Biden has said that he would be in favor of $10,000 of student loan forgiveness, um, but he doesn't want to do it by executive order. He wants Congress to pass it. So uh, they're e- each side is kind of talking. I say each side; they're all Democrats, but, yeah. <laughs> but they're each side. Of, they want the other group to do it, um, and so there's still a lot that that needs to be worked out there. I think there's more support for student loan forgiveness now, and more. Um, kind of imperative to do it than there has ever been, um, but there's still a lot to be worked out. So that still remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's a kind of around what I thought was happening, but just yeah. wanted to make sure I hadn't missed anything. No. So, yeah. Um, all right. So what about the latest stimulus bill uh, that just passed? Did that do anything for higher ed? So that's what where the um, the tax free provision was. So if any student loan forgiveness happens over the next four years, it will be tax free. That was in the last stimulus bill, and they, it all they also issued about forty billion dollars in um, relief funding to colleges. So that is a nice thing for currently enrolled college students. Um, that. Uh, colleges will be getting a whole lot of money to um, do all sorts of things on campus. Um, 
including there's a certain percentage of the money that has to go towards emergency grants to students who are struggling because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's putting more money in the colleges that they can use to help fund students that might need some help. So so that's a nice thing for students. Um, So those were the two um, kind of big higher ed related provisions that were in this latest bill. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. So that's what's happened so far. Anything else on the horizon? I mean, I guess I um, like anything else we should know about. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think student loan forgiveness is the, the biggest one that there's lots of talk about um, right now within the government. So again, remains to be seen how that will play out. The other thing that I would mention is that it was part of um, President Biden's platform to make college tuition free to one extent or another. Um, He campaigned on a a part of his platform was making community college completely tuition-free for everyone. Uh, Also making four-year public colleges tuition-free for families making under $125,000 a year. That was part Mm -hmm. of his platform. There has been no progress on that so far. It's gotten sort of less attention, I think, than the student loan forgiveness part. Um, that that's just another thing that remains to be seen. He did, he did campaign on that platform. Um, what will happen? We don't quite know yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Because that will certainly, that can't be done by executive order. That will certainly take an act of Congress. Um, and while the Democrats have sort of have control, they have 50% majority. Um, they don't have the um, the two thirds that, that they need to get some stuff through the Senate. So that will be a challenge. Okay. All right. That sounds good. We got to wrap it up now. Thank you so much, Shannon. You're so welcome. All right. So thanks so much also to Barbara and Kira and, uh, everybody should get ready for our show next week. We're going to have the very timely episode about deciding which college to attend now that you've received some offers of admission. And finally, I want to remind you that you don't have to listen to our shows live. Every show is accessible 24-7 on the Voice America website. Um, And if you want to search for a particular show topic, you can go to our blog page at blog.getintocollege.com. Last, don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.